Good morning. I'm excited to share this morning. And my heart feels so full off of that worship time. I just felt like so much of uh, what the Lord gave me came through in the prayer meeting, came through in the lyrics of our songs. And he's moving in our midst and it's wonderful and it's glorious and I'm grateful and it's so good to be a daughter of the Lord today. So, this is number two in our mini-series on worship, now and forever. (laughs) I had a bit of a time getting everything together for this um, preach this week. I felt God minister to me in deep ways as I got into his word and just his presence and just, I just wept. And then every time I went to kind of go practice, it was kind of like, it felt like what my husband said yesterday about one of our waffles, it felt like a limp waffle. It's like, (laughs) where's the power, Lord? It's in here, I can't get it out. Um, And then I found that this morning, I got up, it was about five in the morning, I was sitting on my bed, and unfortunately I woke Chris. (laughs) And he said, what's up? And I said, I just feel unprepared, which was so completely the opposite of what had happened. And he began to pray, so let me pray for you. And he began to war. And it was that kind of fear and anxiety that shuts down, brings kind of that silence, and like nobody wants to preach about worship without passion, what is that? And God just began to break it off. And I just wept. And I probably wept for another hour and a half just in his presence at his goodness. And scriptures were trickling in my mind and into my heart and songs. And this, um, I'm going to read. It's part of Psalm 29. It's not in the slides. My daughter is doing media and she's training my other daughter. <laughs> Psalm 29, verse 1, ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Verse 4, the voice of the Lord is powerful, the voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Down to verse 10, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood, the Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. I love the way the old King James Version says, give unto the Lord all ye mighty, give unto the Lord glory and strength, give unto the Lord the glory to his name. And as I thought about the mighty and heavenly beings, back in the Old Testament, they might have been talking about angels and all the heavenly hosts. But my mind fast-forwarded to Ephesians 2, verse 6, that says we're seated in high places with Jesus. And we're giving him our worship, and this is our king. So just a little, little recap. Last week, James spoke. And in a sentence, God's glory means that worship is about him. And God's character means that worship is is about us. I love that worship is reciprocal. He's worthy of it all, no matter what. It's because he's good. 
as we sang over and over again, he's good and he can't help but pour out and just in his being, his goodness and his glory and his love just fill the space, fill every space. So I'm calling this Worshiping Sons and Daughters, A Clash of Kingdoms. Now you know my, why, why I might have had a bit of a battle this week. It's a clash of kingdoms when we lift him up, when we worship him. And I'm going to talk a bit more about that, what I sense God is doing in our worship, but I'm sure coming off of that time, you're sensing the same things. He's moving mightily in our midst. Yeah, so I think this is happening at an opportune time for us. The next, the next verse, there's this other scripture. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. We sang about that today, right? Being enthroned upon the praises. Um, every time we worship our king, he's enthroned on our praises. I know, he's king anyway. But just, it's that relationship, isn't it? He's enthroned on our praises. So, I'm talking from the point of view of what happens in the spiritual places when we worship. And I aim to encourage us regarding our personal worship and our corporate worship. I make some basic assumptions, and this is by no means an exhaustive list. But beginning with, it's relational to state the obvious. I'm relating to God, he's relating to me, he's a king, relating to his sons and daughters, to his kingdom, and to the world he loves. He's always speaking into the world he loves, and the worship that happens here and the worship that happens in heaven speaks of his love to all the world. Those that haven't come yet to him, as well as those that hear, know the sound of his voice and are so attuned to it and just enjoying and delighting in it. He delights over his creation. He loves this world. So worship is relational. Worship is influential. Again, in his being, God is, God is and influences. I put in the slide that it spreads like the kingdom because the thoughts that came to mind as I thought about worship being influential is that a lot of the parables that Jesus spoke about, about how the kingdom is, is like leaven, a bit of dough, and it just it spreads. Or it's like that tiny mustard seed planted in a garden, and it grows up into the largest tree, and <clears throat> the birds can come perch on it. Or that light that spreads, well, I mean, that when it beams out, just the darkness disperses. There are powerful things happening when we worship. There is light being shed <clears throat> and entering the darkness of this world and it's doing and it's working. Um, it touches a, a realm, again, under just it being influential. Worship is transformational. In encountering God, we're transformed. We're taking from glory to glory. We're being changed into his image more and more. It's such a mystery. 
but we're being transformed. And I think the encouragement today is seeing that through that worship, as you, a child of God, as we sons and daughters of God worship, this clash of kingdoms is happening, but we're on the victorious side. And it's a kingdom with a capital K. (laughs) Worship is personal and it's corporate. I think I talked about that a bit and I'm going to go more into it more so I'll go to the next thing it's a big deal how much it matters to the heart of God you see Deuteronomy 5 verses 7 through 9 up there and that's just a recap of the Ten Commandments and the, the you know the main sentence in there you shall have no other God before me and then Deuteronomy 6 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. It was hard to do that in those times when this was spoken. But because we have the Spirit of God, because that we have that oneness with Him, we've been empowered to love Him with all our hearts, our souls, our mind, our strength. So it's a big deal to the heart of God. And this thing about the heart, the heart must and will worship. It was made for worship. If you don't worship Jesus, you're going to worship something lesser. If I don't worship Jesus, I'm just going to end up worshiping something lesser, be it myself, be it a job, you know, be it um, to please other people. The heart needs to worship. What you give to, and what you give your heart to, you'll give your hands to, because your heart is going to follow your hands. It's a big deal that in light of our times, we can worship loud and bold like we did today. In a world where, in some places, it's so hard to be a Christian. And sometimes in our own nation, with all of the ideologies, etc., it's hard. We can still worship out loud. And in that, there are powerful things happening. I don't know if I can put that to words, you know, quite properly. Anyway. Um, so remember last week when James was going into... Romans, end of Romans 11 and the beginning of Romans 12, and he said, you know, whenever you see therefore, you kind of got to figure out what it's there for. (laughs) My text today, which at first I thought, really? But this is what God gave me, was the temptation of Jesus Christ. It kind of makes sense. It's this head-on battle while Jesus is on the earth with the enemy. You know, it's a face-to-face collision. But um, I'm going to read it for you. But this bit says, then Jesus was. So we got to figure out why that then is there. And you get it from the previous text. Jesus has been at the River Jordan getting baptized by John. It's a baptism of repentance 
And John's like, you want me to baptize you? I have need of being baptized by you. And Jesus is like, you know, let it be done to fulfill all righteousness. Here's an obedient son. Here's a faithful son. It wasn't hard for Jesus to be obedient from the perspective of he loves his God. Worship, worship of our Father gives us grace to move in his purposes, purposes to be obedient to him, to move with him. So he's baptized, dunked, comes back up, and the Spirit descends on him like, descends on him like a dove. And then you, you hear the voice of the Father, and he says, you are my son, and you I'm well pleased. And then the Spirit leads him. Here we go. I'm going to read the text. It's behind you. Then, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to... Am I okay here? Yeah. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God... Command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering, were ministering, ministering to him. I just included um, these couple things out of Mark and Luke because they point out a couple things. So I'm going to read it. Mark 1.13, And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals and the, angel, and the angels were ministering to him. And I just felt like that kind of highlighted just the intensity. And that, we you know, we get a picture of those three temptations, but he was being tempted 40 days. More on that in a minute. Luke 4, 2. For 40 days being tempted by the devil, and, when, and he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. A lot of scholars compare these Jesus' 40 days to uh, Israel's 40 years. Israel was led like a son into the wilderness. And where Israel failed, Jesus overcame. And his victory became ours. Um, well, things that come into mind. The immediate is Jesus' identity as son being hammered and questioned by the, by the enemy. 
and the fact that he overcame temptation. And Jesus, by speaking the word, overcame. I mean, these are things we think about all the time. And how the Spirit led him into the wilderness and how he went, came back out in the power of the Spirit having overcome. And I love an insight of, just picked up from a speaker not too long ago. It's really good to learn that Jesus spoke his way out of the wilderness, didn't just think his way out of it. And when we put those words to song, just another dimension that helps drive that message to our hearts as well as into the heavenlies. But as I read this passage, passage again, I was, you know, I was struck more with what where the Lord was taking me. Jesus is a devoted worshiper. He was going to worship the one and only God and no one else. And in this passage, he doesn't even address him as father. I know, he's quoting scripture out of Deuteronomy. He's, he uh, addresses him as God the Lord. I find that so powerful in this because it was just the uplifting of God. Not everyone on earth could relate to him as father yet. Only Jesus could. And what was also interesting to me, there's no question that Jesus understood his identity as son, but that's just not the way he addresses him here. Some say that it wasn't about the enemy trying to... um, have Jesus draw a question around his identity so so much as, what does that mean? What does it mean that you're the son of God? And he threw his arrows at that. Surely this battle that Jesus fought would impact the world. And he knew that at that very moment. But right then and there, it was his personal temptation. There comes a time in our hearts where we have to make that commitment, that personal commitment to worship. And then as we move along with Jesus, as we walk with Jesus, we have more opportunities to choose him. Whether it be, you know, just the temptation of caving to weak flesh or temptation that the enemy brings. There are choices and every time we make a choice for Jesus, we grow in strength in Christ. So this is a, the conflict, the clash of two kingdoms was happening at a very personal level. And Jesus was in a solitary place. He was with, it's like when Mark says he was with the wild animals. <laughs> He's with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. But there was no support group. No, no friends like Peter, James, and John. And sometimes even when our friends are around, we feel alone. We have to make a choice. I love the one-on-one nature of that, that Jesus, he's a jealous God. It's all for him. We're all for him. Um, yeah. Not even. <laughs> so Jesus, the worshiper, he's been tempted for 40 years. I said, we get... Three areas of temptation. But Hebrews 4.15 says that um, Jesus was tempted in all things. 
So we, don't, we know that the flesh was weak, and Jesus says this to his disciples as he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's like, Peter, James, John, I need you to pray with me. I'm sorrowful. He comes back in there sleeping, and he warns them. He says, you know, watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak, and he knew it all too well. He'd been there. I'm so comforted by the fact that he has been where I am. And yet he's empowered me by his spirit to live for him, to worship him. So, like I said, he never even responds to the sonship thing. I'm going to read um, Romans 8, verses 14 through 16. I can't find it here. I'm going to read it from up there. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Let's go into the first temptation, yeah. It's a temptation of appetite, not just for food, not just turn these stones into bread, but for power. Exert your power a little bit here, Jesus. You're hungry, turn these stones into bread. It's also temptation to listen to the wrong voice. And Jesus responds Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So many um, scriptures. This, it's in John 4, 34, Jesus says his food is to do the will of God. So Jesus, is, uh, the Father, is his sustenance. And with this one just quoting the scripture, he's saying it. I'm not going to live by bread alone. I live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In the book of John, which is the only book that actually doesn't have the account of the temptation of Jesus, over and over he's pointing to the Father. I only do what I see him doing. I say what he says. Everything's about the glory of the Father. Jesus is, the Father is his sustenance, rather. He's going to listen to every word the Father says. Second temptation, he's taken up to the pinnacle of the temple supposed to be like 700 feet up and he's given this you know uh, from the, the the pinnacle the enemy is tempting tempting him to fall down quoting you know out of psalm 91 which is supposed to be about jesus completely and, and just we know that one to be a, a psalm about protection but the temptation is is yeah to test and not to trust god and jesus quotes back yeah um that he, um, it is written, do not test the Lord your God. The third temptation is for power. And the crux of it all, temptation to give God's worship to the devil. And you look at it, and we can brush Satan off as a liar. He says, all the kingdoms of the world have been given to me, and I'll give them to you, if you bow down and worship me. Is that, it's like, is it a legitimate temptation? I know he's a liar. Is it a legitimate temptation? When Jesus teaches on the enemy, 
in the book of John, and several times he calls him the ruler of the world. And Paul, when he speaks, you know that the God of this world has blinded eyes. No, he's not the Lord. But you know the story way back, my husband loves to preach on it. In the garden, when Adam and Eve gave the keys away, you know, we were meant to rule and subdue um, and, and multiply and just fill the earth and rule on God's behalf and we lost the keys but Jesus gained them back. And Jesus doesn't even address the kingdoms of the world thing. He just says, you'll worship the Lord and serve him only. Again, what you worship, you'll serve. And, and at that point, Jesus is like, be gone. So it's a legitimate temptation from that point of view. If it wasn't real, the word wouldn't call it a temptation of Jesus Christ. It's been written for our benefit. And we get to see it from a, a place of power. I know I keep saying that because it is a clash of kingdoms and because we're called too much. Real world domination like the enemy offers Jesus comes by being worshipped. We worship the Lord and he's enthroned on that worship. James uh, pulled out a couple of verses out of the book of Revelation. The risen king is revealed there, just the glorified king. Someday the kingdoms of the world will become the kingdoms of the Lord and of his Christ. So, just an overall observation. In all of it, Jesus stood firm in his identity as the Son of God. He overcame weak flesh and was, even, was led into the wilderness by the Spirit, was led through it by the Spirit, came out in the power of the Spirit. Jesus fought this battle by the Spirit and the Word. His choices that day impacted us forever. His ministry was launched, and what he was preaching through it was the kingdom of God. With signs and wonders following, and then he fulfilled his final destiny, the cross and the resurrection. just want to share a bit about um, what I see happening in our times of worship. I've got to speed things up. There's an increased sensitivity to his presence. There's an increase of his kingdom. There are powerful prophetic declarations being made, whether up here, you know, or here, or the guy that's leading the meeting, or out there. The extension of his kingdom that has, and um, Colleen sang, sang into this today, um, the extension of his kingdom. You have that slide up there, Rachel? Our times of worship. Here we go. 
the extension of God's kingdom that has ramifications for our city and our nation and the nations. And it has eternal ramifications. And I don't know, you know, how much we feel we're connecting with it right now. I think it's going to increase on us, though. And I think it's inescapable. And times like this morning prove that God's just waiting to meet us. So often, I have the privilege of being one of the house worship leaders. We get together, we practice, we, you know, we get the details down, and it's good. But we come together on a Sunday morning, and God just takes it to a whole different level. It's like, good kids, you practice. You get to be the lead worshipers today. And boom, he comes. He comes. And you can feel that throne being built on the praises of his people. And I feel like God wants to do more. He wants to do more. I want to share a couple of... Um, I got a prophetic word for us while we were worshiping. So cool. And I'm going to come to that quickly. But let me just... The co- whole corporate worship thing. I just want to bring up David's tabernacle. The first um, Chronicles 16. They brought back the ark of the Lord putting it in a, in a tent. And this was a king that valued the presence of God. He was called the man after God's own heart. And they, they uh, appoint ministers before the ark to give thanks, to praise the Lord. And this is something that's going to be a regular service. And then you have this song, David's Song of Thanks. And then, if just fast forward to, to 1 Chronicles 25, the musicians are set in place to prophesy with their instruments. They prophesied with their harps, their lyres, their, their cymbals. And Jeduthun prophesied with the lyre. So here's the thing. When David became king, the kingdom was united. It took a few years between his being king over Judah and then his being king over the rest of it. And when David became king, their borders were so much. But by the end of his kingdom, the borders were extended. And that's a picture for us of seeing his kingdom extended through us. And I think of the years that his name has been lifted up here. And just at the back of mind, one of the things that like Steve wrote in in, uh, the values, and that must have been at least a decade ago, was that we were worshiping intercessors and interceding worshipers. Worship at the crux, Jesus at the center of it all how much has been extended and how now people are going out to plant churches, ministries are starting into the city. God is good and he's on the move. So then King Jehoshaphat and the kingdom of Israel, they come up against the battle. Jehoshaphat's been putting reforms into place and then they get the threat of three peoples coming against him. So Jehoshaphat finds himself before God, praying. It's like, why is this happening? And uh, he prays with the, with, the, with, the, with the community. And a prophetic word comes through. One of the Levites, Jehaziel. And the words, don't be scared, don't be discouraged. The battle isn't yours, but the Lord's. You just go down and meet your enemy. God is going to take care of it. Stand firm, hold your position. 
see God's salvation. So everybody worships in response to this word, which is an outflow of believing and receiving the word. They weren't putting it on. The prophetic word didn't instruct them to have a worship service, but they had one anyway. So they get together the next day, and the king, it says he, count, he took counsel with the people. And in their getting ready to go, they put the worshipers in front of the army. And then they go off to meet their enemy. Meanwhile, they're worshiping on the way there. Meanwhile, an ambush is being set up by God of the enemy. The, en- the Lord confuses them. They start fighting each other. And when the two peoples finish off each other, they turn on the third peoples. And when it says when Israel, and I've never seen this, and I'm like, wait a minute, they didn't see any of this. It says they got, they got to the watchtower of the wilderness, and all they saw was a horde of dead bodies. It was done. And for the next three days, they pick up the spoils. And on the fourth day, they have a worship service. And they return with joy. It's caught up in the presence. And in this kingdom, when we're lifting him up, he's pushing back darkness. And he's gaining his inheritance and giving us an inheritance in him. These are the things that I think about when we're up there leading worship. Something powerful is happening now. We're just engaging him. And he's so good. And we can't help but sing and give him his due. Ascribe to the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord his worship, his glory. Praise to his name. So, again, bringing it to New Testament times, Our worship, again, does much in the heavenlies. We're a spiritual people inhabited by the Spirit of Christ. Steve mentioned that in his two-minute sermon today. (laughs) Like, yes. As we worship through that union of our spirit with the Spirit of Christ, sons and daughters of the living God, we keep enthroning him. In our wholehearted worship, we declare his kingship and the kingdom that's unshakable and ever-increasing, spreading like yeast through the, the bread dough. And we have righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. We're a kingdom people. So, I think this scripture came up again. I don't know if it was at prayer meeting. John four twenty three. the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the Father seeks such to worship him. We get to worship him in spirit and in truth. I've heard it said that this means, yeah, not just with our spirits but in the truth of who he is and that's true. But it's also true that because we have his spirit in us we're able to give him something genuine. We can lay aside the false things. We can lay aside the insecurities. We can lay aside the lip service and give him our hearts, be vulnerable before this God. It's meant to be that intimate and that close. And it's so amazing that something so intimate, so vulnerable, so precious, is so powerful and so explosive and can dominate the world. (laughs) Worship of Jesus. Hebrews 13, 15, through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge him. That's not up there. Ephesians 5.19 Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. 
This is just by way of encouraging us in it and just like when it's happening and God moves you to go encourage so-and-so or bring that word, you know, up to um, the guy that's leading and saying, I, I believe this for the church. You know, whether you get to share it then or not, you, you shared it with a person that's leading and that in itself is powerful to God. And as they share it, it's like, you know, there's just more. Um, but melody to the Lord of your heart, let it be real. Let it be real from the heart. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's the part I really want to point out. And with grace in your hearts, getting to know our God. Jesus worshiped the Lord through the temptation with the word. And Revelation 11.15, then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever now and forever. I just want to share what I felt as we were worshiping. This is what I felt God say to us. I will unite you. I will unite you in my presence and I will pour out my spirit on you and you will go out and power in my name. And the change you've longed to see, you will see. And I'm sending you out. As we sang that refrain over and over um, in uh, Overcome, I'm sending you out. I felt like God was repeating it. I'm sending you out. I'm sending you out. I'm sending you out. So, there's so much, but that's what he's given me. Yeah, would you stand with me? I, wanna, I do want to pray for us. Jesus, you're the center of it all. Jesus, you are the center of it all. We love you, Lord. And all praises from you and through you and back to you. Thank you for your spirit in us. Thank you for calling us sons and daughters. Thank you that we get to participate in advancing your kingdom through our worship. There's so many other ways, but thank you for this way. That, Lord God, as you free us more and more, it's just such a delight to us to lift you up to declare your lordship, your kingship. Father, I ask that you bring us into greater freedom, greater release, setting our hearts free to worship you, to lift you up. And God, from that place, our hands will follow. We'll serve, and you'll send us out in power. God, we receive your word. We bless you and exalt you and ask that you uh, do more, increase on us, saturate us with your presence. Saturate us with your presence, Lord. We love you, Jesus. I exalt you. In your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.